invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to the John chapter 9 passage we read a little earlier. Every 20 minutes, someone in the United States loses their sight. And by that, I mean uh, they go completely blind. That is 50,000 people annually. There are 40 million people physically blind in our world. Blindness, as you might imagine, is no respecter of persons. It affects men and women, young and old, rich and poor, and black and white. How many of you here this morning know someone who is actually blind? Do you actually know someone who's blind? Raise your hand. There are some. But what if I told you this morning that everyone, everyone in this room this morning knows someone who's blind? You might say, how so, Pastor Walker? Because there is another kind of blindness. Another kind of blindness other than physical blindness. It's spiritual blindness. You see, physical blindness affects a lot of people. Millions of people. But spiritual blindness affects every person who's ever lived on this planet. You see, if you know someone who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then you actually do know a blind person. Because in that sense, everyone, like the man in our passage this morning, is born blind. Every single person enters this world in darkness without Jesus. And so as you look at the text this morning, you'll see in John 9 that here's on Jesus' lesson on our mission of must. It teaches us that being on this mission of must with Jesus is all about bringing light into the lives of people who are still in darkness. And so in order to uh, live out the mission of must that Jesus presents to us this morning, uh, we're going to look at two basic questions and their answers that are found in this text. And those two questions are, number one, why are people living in darkness? And number two, how can people in darkness see the light? We're going to address both of those questions this morning and unpack them one at a time. We want to see this morning from this passage how Jesus can lead us on our mission of must. And so like him, we can reach out to people with his light in the world of darkness in which we live. So let's look at them one at a time. First in verses 1 through 5, why are people living in darkness? If you read the entirety of John's gospel, you'll come to a conclusion fairly quickly and easily, and that is this, that there are really only two types of people in the world, those who are in the light and those who are in the darkness. Did you know every single person, whether you recognized it or realized it when you came in this place this morning, you are one of those two. You are either in the light or you are still in darkness. That is the very theme. It is the very framework of John's gospel. In fact, hold your finger here and let me just point out something before we get going in our passage in John chapter 1, if you'll turn there. If you're familiar with the Bible whatsoever, you'll know that the Bible itself in the very first words in Genesis 1 talks about in the beginning. In the beginning, and God goes through creation week. One of the things he does is create darkness and light. And John, in his gospel, says, let me tell you about a new creation, a new creation week, a new kind of Genesis. And he starts with that very familiar phrase that we know from the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, listen, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's the theme of John, light and darkness. There are those who are, and and you're going to see it in the text, Jesus is the light revealer because he brings the light. He is the light, in fact. And then John the baptizer, who's mentioned in this text starting in verse 6 and following, he's the light reflector. And as Christians, that's how we have it. See, we have two sources of light. Not one source, but two kinds of light. We have Jesus who is, can I say it this way, the gospel son, S-U-N. He is the source. And, And then you have John the baptizer, and all of us would fit into this category. See, we are gospel moons. The moon, you know, has no source of light on its own. All the moon does is reflect the light from the sun. That's you and I as Christians. Jesus is the source of the light. He's the sun in the solar system of all of our souls. And as far as Christians go, we are light reflectors. See, Jesus is the light revealer. John the baptizer is the light reflector. Why is that necessary? Well, John 1, 11, and 12 says, because of the two types of people I've already mentioned. Notice the word receive in both verses. John 1, 11 says this. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, in contrast, to all who did receive him. Well, what does it mean to receive the light of Jesus? It means, next phrase, believe on his name. You see, there are only two types of people, right? Light receivers and light rejectors. So everyone who comes into the darkness of this world, they are light rejectors because they are Jesus rejectors, because they are truth rejectors. Pastor Walker How do I know if that's me? Well, the Bible is very clear, and we've covered it. What does it look like when you are a light rejecter? Well, it kind of looks like a lot of different things. In John 3, we saw the light rejecter look like Nicodemus. Now, it won't look like that to modern people. We think that he'd be a light receiver, but he wasn't. See, he came to Jesus, John 3, 2, at night. And that was symbolic of the fact that although he was very religious, he was still in the dark. Because he had not come to the realization, he was not clear on whatsoever about who Jesus really is. See, he was moral darkness. You know what moral darkness is? That's what it looks like sometimes. Light rejectors are people who have moral darkness. That means they are more known by being religious. And they are sometimes religious like a Baptist. They are religious like a Catholic or a Lutheran or Episcopalian or, or whatever it is. See, they're very religious. See, being in moral darkness and a light rejector does not mean you keep away from church. It doesn't even mean that you don't own a Bible. It doesn't mean that you don't even think that you believe in God at all. You may very well believe in God. And you might be a pretty good person. Nicodemus was more than a pretty good person but he was in the dark. See, sometimes when you're a light rejecter, it looks like moral darkness. It looks like you are religious. Here's what it looks like. You're a rule keeper. See, you're not getting drunk on the weekends and you're not high on drugs and you're not being illicit immorally. You're not a person, you you love your family, you take care of your wife, you love your children, you're an upstanding citizen, you've never been, you go, see, you're a rule keeper. You do all the things that, it's expected of you because it's a good thing. It's a right thing. You, br- you are brought up with these types of standards. But you're still in the dark. Because the answer, the question is, what about Jesus? See, Nicodemus 
was a light rejecter. You know why? He had moral darkness. He was trying to cover it up. But here's what we've learned about Nicodemus. At the end of Nicodemus' story in John 3, it says, here's the problem. It's a heart problem. God so loved the world. But then it says, let me contrast that in verse 19, just three verses later. God loves the world, but men love darkness. You see the difference? There is a kind of love that God has, and there's a, a kind of love that people have. God loves people, but people don't love God. They may acknowledge God. They may read about him. They may go to church where he is presented, but they do not love, know him. And it's worse than that. It's not that they're just light rejectors. Here's what John 3 says. They are light haters. So you, you would be here this morning, and you're religious. You, I, you know, I don't like being considered to be a light hater. John says, see, it's moral darkness. And they avoid the light. They don't come to the light. You know why? Because if you actually came to the light, here's what the Bible says, your works would be exposed and your heart would be known for the evil it really has. And we don't want that. So we get religious, but we don't want to get too close to the Bible. We don't want to get too close to what God says because it would be exposed. We'd really be seen. God would really see us for who we are. But that's what it looks like sometimes. See, he was in moral darkness. That's Nicodemus. But we've also covered the woman at the well. Flip over the other side of the coin and you find her. See, he was moral darkness. She's immoral darkness. She'd had five husbands. The guy she had now, she was not even married to. Because to be a light rejecter, sometimes it looks like rule keeper, but sometimes it looks like rule breakers. Sometimes it looks re religious. Sometimes it looks rebellious. And there are some of those, too, people who really don't care that much about church. They're not really interested in it. Hey, they grew up in it, but I'm going to do my own thing. I call my own shots. I'm going to be expressive self-individualism, right? I, I, no one's really going to tell me how to do my life. I'm going to live how I want and think about all these things. I'm going to do my own thing. So, so it looks like two different things, sometimes religious, sometimes rebellious, sometimes rule keeper, sometimes rule breaker. And here's what Jesus would say, which one are you? Which one of the darknesses are you in? And in case you didn't think you fit either category, Jesus says, well, let me tell you about the guy born blind. See, you put Nicodemus, you put the woman to, at the well together, and you put the man born blind, it's a composite picture of humanity. Every single one of us in this room. It doesn't matter whether it's moral darkness or immoral darkness. It's all darkness. And this man was born blind. It wasn't that at one time he saw and then, you know, and then he, he couldn't see anymore. He had never seen. See, he had never experienced light whatsoever. 1 John chapter 1 says, in God, there is no darkness at all. And the, the opposite corollary of that is, in man, there is no light at all. And this man had never had light. All he knew was darkness. In a little island called La Palma, in the Canary Islands, there is an observatory. It's called the Roca de los Muchachos Observatory. And why I tell you this morning is it has been discovered that this place where the observatory is is the darkest place in the entire world. They put all the lights on, the city, the area around it, the observatory, all the lights, everything that you would have on, and it only brings 2%, 2% 
of brightness to the night sky. It is so dark there that with all the lights on, as much as possible, it hardly makes a difference when you go outside. Can I tell you this? There's one place darker than that observatory in that place in the Canary Islands, and that's every human heart, including yours and mine. I've discovered over the years as a pastor that it's very hard to convince people that they are in total darkness spiritually. I would think that most people would say this, hey, okay, I might be partially blind. Or as they like to say, my dad used to say, he was legally blind. Legally blind means, I don't know, you're 2,600 or something like that in your, you know, your prescription or something. Or, you know, it says you get a little older, or, you know, I don't go out and not have bad night vision. Some people might say, oh, you know, Pastor Walker, I have some spiritual issues in my life, but, you know, truthfully, I just need a little bit of a stronger prescription in my glasses, just a little different lens. But to tell people and for them to believe that they are in total darkness would be very difficult for them to grasp. You see, total darkness, there's a, there's a theological word for it. It's called total depravity. Total depravity means that sin has affected every single part of your life. The way you think, your motives, your desires, your ambitions, your attitudes, your actions. There isn't a part of your life that sin hasn't corrupted. It doesn't mean that you are as bad as you could be. Thank God that everyone who's depraved like all of us is not like Hitler. So you're not as bad as you could be, but you're as bad off as you could be. Why? Because sin has taken a stranglehold grip on your soul, the Bible says. And because of it, we are in total darkness. So Jesus is going to take the illustration of this man who's been born blind and he's going to tell us as Christians that as we see people in the world like that, how we could be on mission of must with him. And so you read the text, you heard the Lardies read it. In verses 1 and 2, Jesus and his disciples are walking by near the, not too far from the pool of Siloam. Chapter 8 says they just walked outside of the temple complex and they're walking down a hill toward the outskirts of the city. And they come across a blind man. A blind person could not make a living, and so they had to beg. And the best place to beg was people going into a religious structure to worship God and felt sorry for other people. And so they'd always sit. They couldn't go in the temple because according to the, the uh, Torah, if you're blind, you can't go inside to worship. So they stayed outside, sat on the streets, usually holding something that you could put money or food into, and they would beg. So blindness in the New Testament wasn't just a physical malady, it had social ramifications. This is how you spent your life. Probably most of all separated from your family and friends and you had no one. So Jesus passes by this man born blind and his disciples ask a question. And they want to know in verses 1 and 2, what is the cause of his blindness? Why is he blind? Now, they give two false views. The one is perhaps his parents sinned. Maybe his parents did something very specifically, and that's why this guy, from the very day he was born, is blind. I mean, that means one thing to be blind later on in life. I mean, but how awful could this guy or his parents have to be? So maybe his parents did something wrong specifically, or maybe they even believed that you could sin in the, in the womb, and maybe this guy did something so awful that God is punishing him. See, they are all after the causes of his condition, but Jesus says, here's the true view, it's neither one. It wasn't a specific sin 
that was committed by his parents. It wasn't a specific sin committed by him. Neither one of those true. You know why? Watch. And Christians do that, this. Because his disciples were focusing on the wrong thing. They were focusing on the cause of his sin. And Jesus says, I want you to see the cure for his sin. I want you to see that it's not what got him here, but why is he here? Why is this man born blind? And you can read it for yourself if you haven't turned back to chapter 9. Here's what he says. Verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. It's not a specific sin for a specific problem. But in contrast, and this is the strongest contrasting word you can have, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, that's the reason. Jesus says, and I, I wonder if he's talking to you this morning, you're missing it when you see people and you see how far out they are and you see how much the darkness has overcome their life. Do you just see what causes it and what kind of life they're living? Or do you see how I, Jesus, can be the answer to it? How do you see them? See, God says, I designed him to be born that way. You know why? Because I'm going to put him on display. What are the works of God? He says, God's works might be displayed in him. In John chapter 6, in verses 28 and 29, here's what Jesus says. The crowd asked him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered him, listen, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Why did this guy get born blind? Because Jesus wants to show all the people of that day and all the people here today that here's why people are born spiritually blind. Because God wants to put your life on display. He wants to show people who he is. He wants to show people, listen, that he does the works of God, that he can change your life. And you know what he can do? He can change your life so radically that believing in him as your Lord and Savior would change everything, everything in your everyday life. Believing in Jesus as the light of the world is the cure for darkness. Jesus says, and that's what I want to put people on display. See, if you ever go to a car dealership, and they're having special sales, and you go in there, and you might walk through the lot, but some of their best cars are on the showroom floor. And you walk into a dealership, and they have the car that's beautiful. It's got all the latest gadgetry and technology, and you go in there, and everybody comes right up to you in the showroom, and they tell you about it. You want to take a test drive, we'll do that. You know why? Super, why? Because this is the works. These are the works of that dealer. They're showing you the best that they can do. See, God's got a showroom. He says, let me show you the models I put on my spiritually showroom floor. See, say I put Nicodemus out there. You know why? Let me just show you what I can do. I can change Nicodemus's rebellious, his religious darkness. And look how I can turn his life around. Because by the end of John's gospel, he's standing up for Jesus, taking him off the cross, and having him help buried. See, Nicodemus stands up and talks for Jesus. Why? Because he came to know him. His life was changed by it. And see, God, see, look, see, look at Nicodemus. He's on the showroom floor. I can change religious people and make them truly righteous. And then he says, let me show you over here on the showroom floor. See, I take the, the woman at the well 
And see, she's so far away, she's not even practicing Judaism correctly. She's immoral, and everybody would say, give up on her, toss her aside, she's disposable. She says, no, 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 no. He goes, she's on my showroom floor. Because I can take her and turn her around in a few moments. She's in town telling people to come see me because I've already changed her life. And Jesus says, and let me put the blind man on the showroom floor. Let me show you what I can do. You know why? Because I can take people who are in so much darkness, total darkness, and I can shine the light of the gospel into their lives. And after a life completely in darkness, they can finally see. You see, that's what God can do. And that's what he wants you and I to be a part of as Christians. And so he says, and here's our phrase, mission of must. It's our series. It's in every one of our passages. Verse 4 says, Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me. Do you see that? We must work the works of sin. Listen, Jesus was sent by God and he came into this world. He left the light and the glory of heaven to come into a world filled with darkness. Can I tell you this? This is what you and I must do. People who are on the mission of must with Jesus, here's what they do. They move toward the darkness. We've already learned in John 3, 20, when people are in darkness, they don't come to the light. If you think your friends or your family are going to come to Jesus on their own, you are mistaken. They are in darkness. They don't want to come to the light. But Jesus says, wait though, I can overcome that. Because here's the theme, light overcomes darkness. Jesus says though, if you're on mission with me, I was sent Here's the direction. I came from heaven to earth. I moved toward the darkness. That's what we do because darkness doesn't come to the light. Light comes to the darkness. That's our mission. That's our mission. A.W. Milne was a missionary and God sent him to the island of Vanuatu. He was a one of many called one-way missionaries. And I've told this story before. One-way missionaries because they decided when they went to the mission field they were never coming back and so they packed everything that they owned in caskets and had them shipped. When he got to Vanatu, it was called the white man's graveyard because all the preceding missionaries that had ever been before him were all killed and eaten by cannibals. But he went anyways. A.W. Milne spent 35 years on that island And almost every single native on that island came to know Christ. An incredibly fruitful ministry. When he died, he was buried in the very center of town. And his tombstone read that was put on there by the nationals. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Because A.W. Milne got it right. You know what he did? He moved toward the darkness and shine the light of Jesus and change light. See, does your must move in that direction? Do you feel like being sent by God? You're not just sent, you're sent into the darkness to be light for him. See, we, we move toward the darkness means we move toward people. We move toward the darkness and the people in your neighborhood and the darkness to the people where you work, in your job, in your, in your family. We move toward those young people in the schools that you attend. See, there are people who are dying in darkness and God sent you to that school not just to get a, or finish an education. He sent you there to be a if you're on mission with him 
If you read the passage, you can't help but get a sense of urgency. Because Jesus says in chapter 9, in verse 4, while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, we've got to be serious about this mission of must. We have to be compelled by it. There's a sense of urgency from it. You know why? Because right now, while Jesus is here, the night is here. I mean, the day is here, but the night is coming. They're going to crucify Jesus. And and for him in the first century, it meant he wouldn't be there in person anymore. But can I tell you this? He's here today in our lives. But see, can I tell you this? The day is here, but the night is coming in America. Do you think, as you look around, that's true? Look at the darkness in which we live. And can I tell you the light, the darkness is growing in America on practically every single level. And we've been called to it. Not to separate ourselves from it, not to isolate ourselves from it, not to sequester ourselves away from the darkness, but to run to it. To run in the darkness, to run to it, and to be light. You see, as Jesus tells the disciples this, they are right outside the temple complex right near the Feast of Tabernacles. In the Feast of the Tabernacles, they had these gigantic menorahs. I mean, huge. They were like 60, 70 feet tall on all four corners of the temple court complex. And every day and every night, they would light these gigantic menorahs. And basically, no matter where you were in Jerusalem, you could see these lights. They literally didn't light up the town, but you could see in the darkness those lights. I can't imagine, although I can't prove it. Jesus says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world, see? And he might have said, not these, me. You see, the light that the world needs doesn't come from a religious system. It doesn't come from temple rituals. It doesn't come from the animal sacrifices. You know what people need? They need Jesus. He's the light of the world. And when he's gone, you know what he said? Matthew 5, for us, you are the light of the world. They don't need religion. They need to see Jesus in you and in me. We need to light up our world. So you know what? That answers the first question. You know, how, why are people living in darkness? Because they don't know the Savior. They don't know Jesus. How can people in darkness see the light? Let me close with this. Over and over in this text, four different times throughout this whole chapter 9, it's been said that the man was born blind. And in our little paragraph, I think that is emphasized because what the man needs to see the light, if he was born blind, he must be reborn to see. That makes only sense, right? And so throughout these last few verses, verses 6 and 7, and even before a little bit, you see some of the creation language that John puts into this text. He talks about, here's the day, but the night is coming. Day and night. That's creation language from Genesis. Jesus gets down on his hands and feet, and he spits on some mud, and he begins to form it in his hands, and then he puts it on the guy's eyes. Why in the world he does it? Because you look at all the miracles of Jesus. He didn't do that anywhere else. In fact, Jesus could just say the word, and someone miles away could be healed. So why? Why would he get down and make mud with spit and the dirt Because Genesis 2 and verse 7 says, And God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And he breathed life into him, and he became a living being. You know what John wants to say? Like John 1, 1 through 5? See, 
For you to get out of the darkness into the light, you have to be reborn. Can I say it this way? Recreated. God himself and God alone has to come into your life and he has to put mud. You see, it's just a picture of you just being dust and human and, and complete darkness. And he says, Jesus says to him, see, that's who you are. You are a human being that's been born in darkness and you must see the light of Jesus. And the only way is if I recreate you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Would you briefly just turn there real quickly? How do people see? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 reads this way. In their case, the God of this world, here's our word, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Why? See, we're blinded by sin and we're blinded by Satan. It's a double blindness. Why does Satan blind people? Notice the infinitive. He says this, to keep them from seeing the light. What light? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Verse six, for God who said, creation language, let light shine out of darkness, how does it happen? How do dark people in darkness see the light? Because God commands it, like he did on creation. He said, shine out of darkness. And he says, here's what Paul says. And when you get saved, here's what God says to your darkness. Shine. Shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. See, Satan wants to keep you from the light, and Jesus wants to give you the light. That's the difference. How do people in darkness see Jesus must command it. He must give it because he's the only source of it. So in the text, notice, Jesus makes the mud, Jesus applies the mud, and then Jesus is the one who commands the man. He tells him, go down to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. It tells us in the text, and you're kind of asking, why? Why do I care what the meaning of the name of the pool is? Because it matters, because here's the point. See, the man was not healed by contact with the water in the pool. That's not the source. Jesus is. Jesus is the one sent by God. And he went to a call, told the man, go to a pool called sent. And the man himself was sent. What's the point of all of that? The only way he was healed was not contact with the water, but contact with Jesus. Jesus sent him and said, go wash. That's the command. That's equivalent in my estimation of saying, let light shine. And the guy, the Bible says the guy went down, he washed the, the mud off, and he saw. Why? Because the connection is that's what Jesus said. And when Jesus says, you're washed, you can see. When Jesus says, shine, the darkness is dispelled. See, that's what we do as missionaries. We give them the words of Jesus because he's the light of life. See, in the Feast of the Tabernacles, every day the priests would go and they would walk all the way from the temple in the north part of the city and they would walk through all the streets outside the gate to the Pool of Siloam. He would get a bucket or actually a, a pitcher, silver pitcher, and he would fill with water and then everyone would get back in procession and they would walk back up the city and they would go up to the temple of the sacrifice and they take the, and they would dump the water out. Why? Because the water from the pool of Siloam meant here's how you get cleansed. 
And the picture was you get it in the temple. You know what Jesus says? Oh, it's not the water from the temple. It's not the water from the pool of Siloam. It's me. I cleanse people. Believe in me. Trust in me, Jesus says, that my death on the cross was the payment for your sins. My resurrection is the hope that you can be different, that you have new life, that you can be reborn, that light can shine in your darkness. See, that's the message. It's Jesus. That's our message. Throughout this text, there are light rejectors and receivers. The man born blind, he believes and progressively understands more and more of Jesus till he starts ridiculing the Pharisees to the point where they expel him from the synagogue and the temple. And then there are the light rejectors, the religious leaders who are asking questions, and as the story progresses, they progress in their unbelief to the point where at the end they want to kill him. Again, the question asked of the text is, which one are you, the light receiver or the light rejecter? See, that's the mission that you are on. That's the questions we have to pose to a world in darkness. Let's pray. Father, Jesus was on a mission of must. For him, it was necessary to shine light into the world that was dark and sin. May we feel that same urgency. May we feel that same motivation that we are, through him, the light of the world. We are light reflectors. Please, Lord, help us this week that we might reflect your light, the glory of God in the face of Jesus to a world that's still in darkness, so many people. And perhaps even, even this morning there's someone here and they're still in darkness. Father, may you open their eyes to who you are and what Jesus has done. And may they come and believe in him, trust in him, find life and light in his glorious name. And we'll thank you for that, for it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.